Hey everybody, Sal Capaccio here, WGR Sports Radio 550, Bill Sideline Reporter, inviting you to do what I do every Wednesday and Friday night. That's check out 30 Minutes Live with CDP, coming at you from Ontario, right on your Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube channels. You can check it out every Wednesday and Friday night, just like I do. 30 Minutes Live with CDP. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Live with CDP on this uh, Tuesday, November 23rd. And uh, I'm looking forward to my latest podcast today. Uh, John Googler, um, the longtime radio play-by-play voice of the Buffalo Bandits, uh, will be on to talk uh, some National Lacrosse League, the return of the Buffalo Bandits, and also maybe his uh, a little bit of time with the uh, Rochester Americans, the Sabres, and the Bills with the PA announcers. So um, I'm really looking forward to my guest, uh, John, today, talking to John today about the uh, – National Cross League and the Bandit Buffalo Bandits. If you guys can just give me one minute, I will bring on the uh, longtime voice of the Buffalo Bandits right now. Good afternoon, John. How you doing? Hey, Chris. How are you? Good. Uh, again, can you I hear me see... okay? I can hear you loud and clear. You That's can great. You hear me? Yep. Per- perfect. That's yeah. great. Congratulations like said... to your podcast. Thank you, uh, John. You're I'm. Welcome. I'm. I'm. I'm really hoping to uh, get an opportunity in radio uh, from my podcast and through my volunteer work with Rogers TV as a camera operator. And uh, I just have to keep working hard at this. Sure enough. That's what so, it's all about. Yeah, I just finally found my passion two years ago. And um, I'm just lucky we have this technology now that I can do these shows uh, at home with great guests like yourself. Yeah, that's great. So, and uh, one of my friends uh, knows you too, Pat Gregor. He's a oh, color sure. analyst for the Halifax Thunderbirds. So, yes, uh, he, he is. He's, he's teaching me about the uh, the game right now, and I'm looking forward to going to a game in Hamilton and Buffalo uh, soon. Uh, and likewise, I'm I'm really excited to go back to Hamilton. Haven't been there in years. The Sabers played there a preseason game one time, but uh, I'm I'm happy that the Rock found a. A home in Hamilton. It's a great community, a wonderful building. And I knew they're doing some great things for the future of that structure. And um, the rock and the fans in Hamilton will, I'm sure they'll be endeared for a, a, a good handful of years. One question I wanted to ask you, John, uh, quickly. Um, they're in Hamilton, which is about, I don't know, 45 minutes from Toronto. Do you really think that name will work in Hamilton? Or do you think they should go to the Ontario Rock or the Hamilton Rock, or do you think it'll it'll work out fine keeping the Toronto name in Hamilton? I think the Toronto name will work because of the legacy that that group has created over the years. Uh, Jamie has done a fabulous job, not only with the Rock, but with the National Lacrosse League as well, and has developed so many players that have come from that franchise um, unofficially with the amount of players that have become general manager and coaches uh, from that franchise, the story that The Rock has to tell and the fact that they, the, the legacy of the Toronto Rock, I think, should remain. Uh, whether it's going to be accepted by the Hamiltonians, if you could call them that, or the Hamiltonites, uh, depending what the proper English is, but uh, I'm sure they will be adhered to it. And, you know, it's one big family, and uh, hopefully the fans will, uh, will just uh, be satisfied with the name, the Toronto Rock. I don't think that they should go back to the Ontario Raiders or whatever they were called back then. But yeah, Chris, uh, stay with the Toronto Rock and uh, they're in a great building and a good community and people from all over, uh, not only Hamilton, but uh, the people from 
the Toronto metropolitan area will be coming down the queue to go to the games. It's going to be so nice to be able to to go to Hamilton to a game because it's a lot easier to go to Hamilton than into Toronto. And um, and then also with the border restrictions being loosened, re- uh, loosen, I'll be able to finally go to my first ever uh, Bandits game in Buffalo that I was sure supposed enough. to go to. Yeah. We'll definitely so, leave, leave you a ticket for sure, Chris, if you're coming. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely, because I I was I was about to go against Saskatchewan before the shutdown happened uh, in March 2020. I was supposed to go to a game there, and then it got shut down. But I, I'm still excited to talk to you in power sure. and keep learning about the sport. Because like I said, I've always been into the four sports, but you know what? Lacrosse is something now I'm really taking an interest in. Oh, yeah. It's a great sport. So uh, I was going to say right now the league has, what, 14 teams? Yes. 14 teams going on 15 next year will be Vegas coming into the league. So 14 right now. And then um, I think that through the commissioner and the expansion group would like to have 16. And then certainly according to Nick, a couple of years ago, would like to take it all the way to 32, but that will be in years, but it's been a growing process. Um, it's been a, a point where, you know, you gain a couple of them, you lose a couple of them, you gain a couple and lose a couple The game today, the way it's developed through the players themselves, the way they represent this box game, um, there's nowhere uh, where to go except up in the NLL, and that means expansion will be fitting in quite nicely. Uh, Dallas-Fort Worth comes into play this year, which makes the 14th team, and uh, the Panthers are uh, doing a great job down there. I know that they've got a great box lacrosse community, down in the area of Texas and Dallas and Fort Worth. And um, they will build a quite a following in Dickey's arena. And um, they will be a welcome franchise in the NLL as the talent expands. And certainly this game expands across the plateau of the United States and Canada. I was going to say, have they have a name for the Las Vegas franchise yet? Or are they still uh, taking up names for that franchise? I don't think there is a name yet, but don't quote me on that, Chris. I don't know. I just know that it's uh, the lacrosse franchise that will play in Vegas, and I'm sure they'll come up with it. Maybe uh, somebody will chime in and say, well, this is the name that they're considering or the contest that they're having, but I haven't seen a name yet. I know the Albany Fire Wolves will be in action this year, and they came from... Uh, the Mohegan Sun, uh, the New, New England Black Wolves, and they moved from the Mohegan Sun uh, down to Albany, which is a great lacrosse community with the development and the enhancement of the great players at the University of Albany and the, the uh, lacrosse game itself in that area, as well as the box game being expanded now with the Albany Firewolves. So that'll be a welcome addition to, to that Times Union building. I was going to say, as for expansion, uh, John, you've been with the league a long time. Do you feel Detroit could support a lacrosse team again? Like, And, and they do have the arena at Little Cities Arena. I was just thinking, would bringing back the Detroit Turbos be feasible in the future for the league? I don't see any reason why not, Chris. Um, you know, that's where Steve Donner and George Bergans from the Buffalo Sabres organization went back in the 90s, the earlier 90s, to find out how the game itself was growing back then at the what they originally called the MILL, uh, Major Indoor Lacrosse League. Uh, but they used uh, Detroit as kind of a platform of Detroit's success and the excitability of the game. And when those two individuals were looking 
from the Buffalo Sabres side of the fence to fulfill more dates within the new arena. Uh, that's where they really went to and did their homework on and the success that Dallas or Detroit had. And um, I would say in today's game, the way it's developed and evolved, that Detroit would be able to support a franchise in that beautiful new building there and uh, coincide with the Detroit Red Wings and the other sports franchises that there's no reason why that Detroit can't support a game like that. And being uh, from across the bridge, as they would say, uh, they could do the same thing and I think build a nice following down there. It'll be interesting to see how many people, I would love to see the list uh, that Nick Sakevich has. He's the commissioner of the National Lacrosse League. Uh, you know, the number of people that have expressed interest in developing franchises and building the ownership base. And it would be interesting to see if there is a knock from Detroit. And um, I was talking to Pat on my podcast recently. He was saying Nashville, Tennessee is a possibility too. That would be a great spot for it because Nashville, the way that they've evolved with the Predators and the beautiful building down there and the entertainment district that they have, it goes hand in hand. Um, I think the success and looking at it from a blueprint of the success of a National Hockey League franchise, Buffalo Sabres, taking over and, and starting out from ground one uh, on, on the organic level of the Buffalo Bandits, uh, I think it's a great partnership because you already have a solid franchise that's embedded into the community. You've got the support staff and public relations and marketing and all of the other people in the digital end of the business and, and uh, the business scope that having a National Hockey League franchise and a National Lacrosse League franchise, particularly in Nashville, I think would work beautifully. And again, nine nights plus playoffs. So I think the, and, and the way that the Bandits have been able to do that, yes, they have their own support staff, but certainly rely upon the other infrastructure of the Sabres to uh, make the Bandits who they are and have made the Bandits who they are today, which is without a doubt, the number one franchise in the National Lacrosse League. I was going to say, how are things looking right now with the Buffalo Bandits in the training camp? And I'm assuming there's some preseason games too? Bandits have played a couple of preseason games right off the bat. You know, they were into week four of the training camp. And this is where, Chris, in this game, the way it's played, players are looking for an audience right now, I think. And I know that they're ready. And we're just under two weeks from the start of the season on December 4th. So training camp this year started at the end of October, October okay. 30th, but they've been going for four weeks and they've been working on the rudimentary drills. And yes, they played a couple of preseason games and they had a pretty good success against Saskatchewan and an assembled group. You know, you're not going to show your whole uh, deck right at the moment or your cards uh, that would be able to... Um, I think John just froze up for a second. With the new players oh. that have been. Oh, I think I lost you there, John. Oops, oh, you're back. Okay. Sorry. Sometimes okay. that happens with the Wi Fi. Yeah. It happens. Yeah. No, I can hear you. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, where would you like me to pick back up? I don't know where we lost me. Uh, just a little bit of the training camp, how things are going with the, the bandits so far in the training okay, camp. Things have been going well four weeks in, two preseason games played, a success against Saskatchewan and a team thereof of, uh, assembled together a couple of weeks ago. 
I think what the biggest surprise, obviously, is with the acquisition of Kyle Buchanan, who is the crafty veteran as he come aboard. Uh, that was a deal that was done back in 2020 of August. But uh, he's certainly going to add something to the already star-studded offense that the Bandits have. And uh, not to mention the, the uh, trade that they made right before the 21 draft for Connor, Connor Fields uh, from San Diego. Uh, so that, with those two players... Uh, that adds just a dynamic offense that the uh, bandits have and the development. I'm certainly down the road of um, the third overall draft choice. Uh, Dehoka Nanakok uh, will add in a nice element. I've liked the way he's played during preseason and some of the inter-squad scrimmages that I've watched and the drills that he's done in. And certainly some of the other youngsters, you know, they had to go through, uh, bring all the draft choices in from, 2020 and also the draft choices from 2021 and any free agents that they signed over those course of the year. So uh, the bandits had a pretty large roster of hopefuls that were going to be joining. And uh, certainly with the acquisition that they've also made with Justin Robinson, who was a defenseman out of Saskatchewan that adds to the already uh, solid group of defensemen that the bandits have and led by Steve, Priolo, but then Matt Vince, as you know, seven-time NLL goaltender of the year, the do-it-all, and this guy is in an amazing shape. Um, I was watching practice from the bench the other night. Great opportunity for me to watch it at ground level because you're generally so high up into the press box area, and uh, I was listening to the players after they were doing these drills. We had, you know, four-on-four or five-on-five, and they would use half the field to uh, crush in on uh, Matt Vince, and uh, one of the players said, God, I'm glad that he's on our team. I can't believe he made that save. So, you know, people obviously uh, thinking about his 12, 13 years in the NLL. I mean, this guy, he keeps himself in top physical condition and plays the game as if he's just starting out. So there's kind of a, a little bit of a scope of how training camp is going. And as I say it right at the beginning, we are looking for an audience. I think they're ready for an audience. And what a perfect way to start the season to begin with against the um, 2019 NLL champion Calgary Roughnecks because, you know, the Bandits lost to the Roughnecks in the finals there. So a little bit of uh, unfinished business, and we'll see how the game goes on December 4th, the first of 18 on the season. And I was going to say, uh, I have that on my ticker below about that. And uh, and also the Canadians now with the, the border restrictions being loosened, uh, th there should be more Bandit fans be able to cross the border to, to go to the home opener as well. Certainly hopeful. You know, that's always been a big percentage of not only the Buffalo Sabres, but for the Buffalo Bills and for the Buffalo Bandits to have those from Ontario come across the bridge. Um you know, going up to Canada, the, the restrictions for um, a person like myself being a U.S. citizen to show my PCR test negative, to show all of my vaccinations that I've had and my CDC card, obviously the passport and to go through. Um, and I love the way that they're being very protective of the fact of the Americans coming into Canada and then they've got to do this, this and that. Uh, the Bandits and the National Lacrosse League have done a, just an amazing job. Uh, following up with each individual, including myself, but these are all of the players as well, uh, answering a questionnaire three times a week. And even at the Toronto Rock Athletic Facility, 
you have to fill out a digital form before you walk through the door to identify if you're not feeling well, have you been around somebody with COVID, um, have you experienced any pains, this, that, or the other thing. So they're being close, um, and they have to be, uh, because we, you know, we're in a league that uh, everybody's kind of got day jobs. I know that the league doesn't want, want to talk about that, but you know, everybody works. And so they work in a different environment, unlike the National Hockey League or the NBA or the National Football League, that they have these guys kind of under an umbrella and protected. Uh, these guys got to go out and work in an environment. So the NLL, the Buffalo Sabres, and every team in the league is doing just a, an amazing job of keeping track of everyone. Tests are done. Uh, when they come into the building, um, to get your, um, you know, again, going over to Canada to get your PCR test. And um, I, I hope this will uh, subside a little bit. You know, Western New York is going through a little bit of a surge. And they're back in with a mandatory mask scale here in the Buffalo area. I was just going to ask you. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes if everybody follows the rules and regulations. And for God's sake, uh, for those that have not been vaccinated, please get vaccinated. And, uh, you know, not because it's your feeling, but because you're protecting someone else. And, you know, you get into an arena environment and... You know, that's the way it's going to be on December 4th. Everybody's got to wear a mask. Everybody has to be vaccinated. That's just the rules of the. And again, the, the, the Canadian border has, um, has been working and the U.S. border, hopefully some of the things will drop down um, even further and we can get through this together, Chris. You just answered my one question about the mask, which I'm still wearing here at work and at uh, the Gulf Storm games too. Um, one other thing, are the fans going to have to show proof of double vaccination to get into the Key Bank Center for the Bandits and the Sabres yes. right now? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. That's been uh, right from the get-go, right back way when the, the double, you know, the vaccination cards have to be shown. That's the way it works with the Bills games as well. Okay, so they, I'm assuming they will accept like the province of Ontario uh, vaccine card then, I guess, if I come over to Buffalo in sure. say yeah. January. And, and, okay. and the identification of such, you know, just like okay. our CDC cards, I mean, that's where um, on the validation, I mean, you know, you've got to have that. And I don't know if I could, if it's visually feasible to show it, but I mean, that's the uh, CDC card that I have to show. Uh, every time that I walk into the arena, show at the border, and to the individuals that are working the testing of the three uh, vaccines that I've got so far, hopefully it'll be the last, but God, yes. God, you never know, Chris. Totally agree. I was going to say, things are so much better than they were even six months ago or a year oh, ago, yeah. and I'm just... I'm just so glad the Ontario Hockey League's back and I'm back with Rogers TV and being able to go to sporting events again and being around players, fans, and just being around people. It's kind of nice oh, as well. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? Yes. And I'm really looking to forward Buffalo. to it. Yeah. Really and I haven't forward to it. It's been a long it, 19 months. Oh, I totally agree. Uh, the last <laughs> time I was in Buffalo was February 5th, 2020, and then all hell broke loose. And it's been almost two years since I've been over. And it's like, That's I'm something. really looking. Yes, it's it's funny. The, the older you get, the faster time seems to speed up. Doesn't it? Definitely. But uh, anyways, um, are you still okay for time? I was just going to ask you some questions about sure. your career. No, okay. yeah. Keep firing away, Chris. 
No problem. The first one I wanted to ask you, can you just tell my audience just a little bit about yourself and when did you decide uh, earlier in life to pursue a career in broadcasting as a play-by-play announcer as well? Sure. Born and raised in Denver, Colorado. So I started out in the West. And as they say in the broadcast business, it all started at a five-watt radio station at KWSB in Gunnison, Colorado, which is the home of Western State University. That's where I went to school and majored in speech and drama. I later went on to work in the radio business for a handful of years, both AM and FM, and then caught on with the television side of the fence with sports anchoring for, again, a handful of years and uh, finally ended up at KRDO Television in Colorado Springs where it's the home of the Olympic Training Center, not only for hockey, but for gymnastics and boxing and just a a boatload of sports. So, boy, that was a great experience for me and also the United States Air Force Academy down there. So my hands were full uh, and it was a great experience being a sports anchor uh, in that market and then um, got a chance to work in the Central Hockey League at that time uh, through the Colorado Flames. just right after the Rockies left to become the New Jersey Devils. So I started my play-by-play experience of doing the Colorado Flames in the Central Hockey League and obviously the farm team to the Calgary Flames. And then um, when the Central League folded, I went to the American League to do the play-by-play in public relations of the Rochester Americans. And at that time, like the current ownership, uh, the Knox family owned the Rochester Americans and then obviously promoted within and just like a player, you know, you get a call up to work at the Sabres. And that's where I started and spent 11 great years with the Sabres operation, uh, doing television hosting and then uh, taking over for the late Ted Darling, doing the play-by-play up until 95. And then uh, worked through uh, in the radio, continued on that end of the business and uh, was with the Buffalo Bills as a stadium play-by-play announcer for a handful of years and then started with the Buffalo Bills. Oops, I think John froze up there for a sec. Just bear with us, guys. Okay, I was going to say, ironically, my first Buffalo Bills game, uh, I'm not sure if you were doing the PA at that time, September 26, 1997, Bills and Colts, and the Colts were up 26-0 at halftime, and the Bills came back and won that game in the second half. Yeah, I think it was, yeah, uh, probably there. I can't remember what year I started back with them. I started uh, with the Bills in 95 and 96 doing their uh, pregame show uh, in a, uh, with the training they have a, they used to have uh, in their field house, a big pregame party uh, that I was host of and I did that. And then I think I started in 96 or 97 doing the play-by-play for the Bills in stadium. Yeah, that was something. The first game I went to, my brother-in-law at the time, he wanted to leave at halftime, and I said, "Look, <laughs> it's only twenty-six nothing. You stay to the end." And guess what? Uh, they came back and won the game. Uh, I believe Jim Harbaugh threw a hail mary at the end, but that was kind of a, a good experience for my first game in Buffalo. Oh uh, my gosh! Yeah, back from twenty-six nothing. Sure enough, yeah. So People and learned their uh, lesson I, back in the early nineties with the playoff game with the Houston Oilers at the time. <laughs> Don't yeah, ever leave. That, <laughs> no, and, I, and I've had people do that before. And when I go to a sporting event, I don't care what the score is. I stay to the very end. Yeah. Darn so, right. Definitely. Um, 
I was going to see how much of an adjustment was it coming from uh, Colorado to Western New York, Buffalo area, Rochester area back in 1984, I believe. Not much of a problem at all. I mean, uh, both great communities, obviously Denver, uh, a real fast growing city at the time, and it continues to grow. And it was great for my wife and I to develop and raise our children to begin with in Rochester being a same okay um i, I was gonna am say, i getting a, uh, are you hearing me okay uh you just froze just for a second it sometimes does happen on the okay. internet so and i'm learning that too john by the way even with the podcast sometimes things happen that you don't count on even with the podcast like in tv and radio sure. as well so yeah um both both gonna... rochester and buffalo communities have been great and uh, we've raised all our, all our children and not only Rochester, but Buffalo primarily. Um, and we still live today just outside of Buffalo in East Aurora, New York. So it's a great community. Although this summer we did live back in Colorado for five months. We worked at the uh, Three Rivers Resort, both my wife and I, on a work camp program, which we really enjoyed. <laughs> Are you gonna have, I'm going to have to visit Colorado someday. But I know your area in western New York, Buffalo, I uh, before the pandemic, I was coming over once a month to Amherst, Niagara Falls, Buffalo. And it, it's a really nice area. And I can see why a lot of uh, former athletes and current athletes like to live in the area. Oh, my gosh, yeah. No, it's a it's – a, you know, uh, the development of bandit land, I think, speaks for itself with respect to the great, loyal sport fans that we have here in this area. Not, you know, you know also Buffalo, but the outlying areas as well. We have to speak for all the communities that have a big draw for not only the Buffalo Bills, but for the Buffalo Sabres and for the bandits. I mean, we, the bandits, um, are always the leaders in attendance. I know that there's uh, back and forth with Colorado or uh, the other franchises that have been doing really well. Uh, but the the loyal fans of Buffalo uh, and the bandit land, as they call it now, just uh, incredible. And I was going to say, um, I'm assuming, the, are they going to be able to be at full capacity for the home opener? Yes. Okay. That'd be great. Yeah, full pull. Okay. Um one thing I wanted to ask you also about the Sabres, uh, this one question I wanted to ask you, what was it like to follow in the footsteps of the late Ted Darling? I guess he was having health issues when you took over. What was, what was that like to take it over for a legend like Ted? I think the transition, Chris, was good. Uh, anytime you follow a legend like Ted, uh, of Vin Scully, uh, anybody that's been – in the operation for over a handful of years, 20, 30, 40, 50, uh, you're following a legend. And I was doing the same thing. I was fortunate to be the intermission host for so long before I took over the play-by-play duties. So I knew Ted, I knew Mike Robitaille and Jim Lorenz and Larry Playfair and Rick Jenrett. So it wasn't like I was coming in cold. Uh, anytime you take over for a legend, uh, you can't follow their footsteps. You can't emulate them. You can't <clears throat> try to make, you know, win people over. In the business of sports broadcasting, 50% of the people are going to like you, and 50% of the people are not going to like you. That's just the way it is. 
whether you call the game differently, uh, whether you you carry an accent or a dialect that's uncomfortable. Um, the key to a successful play-by-play person is to make sure that you're calling what you see on the playing field as exciting as possible within uh, repetition of your voice streams. And I say the timber, and I teach my students this when I'm involved over at Canisius College in the uh, teaching broadcasting. You, you have to find the timber in your voice. You have to carry a level of excitability, but not over the top, and always remain on edge so you keep that listener or viewer interested. And um, I tried to do that during the era that I do is, did play-by-play with Ted and uh, when Ted was gone. And, uh, you know, I, I thought I was doing a good job, but uh, as you know in this business, uh, there, there's only a few that make it and uh, they, that retain their positions over the years. And just sometimes management wants to make a change. And unfortunately, uh, losing my play-by-play position in 1995 with the Sabres was uh, devastating for me, I would say. I don't think I'm over it yet, but, you know, that's been 26, 27 years ago. Um, I'm happy that Rick uh, was able to make a transition from radio to do television and uh, to do both, which he has been doing over the course of his years now. This is his final season, but still simulcasts the game as a radio broadcaster and a television broadcaster. And he's just done a fabulous job and has carried on his legacy and, and, and certainly a legend now. So... At that time, it was difficult for me to take over for Ted and, um, you know, for the fans to uh, try to get in, to get a feel for who you are and how you did the game. And um, I know that they, they were saying when Vin Scully retired, uh, Vin Scully retired that the guy that was rigging up to replace him certainly couldn't replace him, but it would take anywhere from 10 to 15 years for people to feel comfortable um, in order to have the guy whether it's John Gertler or Ted Darling or Rick Jenrett or anybody else that does a play-by-play, to come into your living room and to broadcast the game and to be uh, a, a total type of professional that delivers the product as he sees it, uh, to call the certain game to a level of excitability, but never to forget the rudiments. You know, uh, Marty Glickman uh, was one of my coaches back in the early 90s, who was a great Hall of Fame broadcaster. I was so fortunate to work with him. And uh, never forget that, you know, when you do radio, you never can say the score enough. And television, you first thing you do, you don't want to certainly uh, insult the viewer. And I think uh, Marty's rudiments, which... Um, Gosh, I was just looking at a letter that he wrote me back uh, from 1993. What was that? 27, nine years ago or whatever like that. And just go over the rudiments of uh, continually identifying how to be a good quality broadcaster. So what's the score? How much time is left? What quarter or half are you in? And, you know, where are we going with the game? And it certainly develop a great rapport with your color analyst and, uh, people will come along with you and try to, uh, uh, you know, listen throughout the time and become a friend to you on whether it's on the radio or television. So that's where I try to tell the youngsters or the people that are wanting to get into this business that a certain level of just developing your own style, the timber of your voice, and just going through the rudiments of being a good sports broadcaster, which I just 
that, you know, time left in the game. What's the score? What quarter are we in? And what do the teams have to do in order to get over the threshold, whether they're behind or holding on to the lead and, and develop a nice rapport with your color analyst that, you know, people feel when I worked with Danny Gare, um, uh, between the periods and we were hosting together on TV, you know, people said, gosh, you guys like each other, don't you? And they said, yeah, we do. We have a great time. People feel comfortable with that. And that's where you want to strive for is the comfortability of what your listener or viewer is looking for. And, um, you know, as we're developing this game in the national lacrosse league, I think, you know, we've got a lot of young, uh, play-by-play guys and color analysts that like, uh, they're just they're doing a great job. They're coming along strong. So I'm happy to be a part of the corral of the MLL and the games that we're doing today. Definitely. Um, I was going to say, John, I was always a fan of yours uh, when you were on Fox 29. That was years ago, Fox 29. I thought you did a great job. Uh, one oh, thing yeah. I wanted to say, what was it like to broadcast games at the Memorial Auditorium? Unbelievable. There's uh, actually uh, three locations. One was the odd because where they had the broadcast vantage point at that time and for several, you know, for the several years that I did the play-by-play, we were actually in the camera turret, which was down over the row of the oranges. So you had to walk down the oranges and remember, and many people will, how steep the oranges were. Because remember now, when they raised the roof of the building, that's where they put those seats in. Certainly they can't do that these days. But we had to go all the way down to the last row of the oranges, go over the uh, railing and then down into a turret and you were literally over the game where we did it from Memorial Auditorium. That was just uh, so exciting to be a part of and having the fans in the back with you uh, and you couldn't hear them or see them, but you knew that they were all there from the oranges. So calling the game from there was just an amazing, uh, amazing piece of time and a great opportunity. The other arena which had similar, in fact, was the Boston Garden, the old Boston Garden, where, you know, the building at that time was built originally for boxing. So your broadcast location was way up into what they call the gallery gods. And you had to go down the steep level of the top part of the arena. It was so steep in Boston, and people know this, but it was so steep in Boston, they had uh, railings across every row. So when you went to your row, you were able to hang on to the railings before you sat in your seat. So, you know, going down to the gallery gods, climbing over the railing into a turret in the gardens, and you literally were just about over the ice. That's how you were because of the way that the building was built and the loge that they had below. And, you know, the building being built back into the 20s, originally built for boxing, um, (laughs) <laughs> they only had seats available for half price because you only could see half the ice. That's how low the loge was, but over top there, that was great. Um, before we and Chicago some... Stadium. Chicago oh, Stadium. Okay. Oh, my gosh. That was the best. You know what I'm going to do here because I'm running low of my uh, technology and the battery. I'm going to have to plug my battery in here. So that okay. means I'm going to have to go into a different voice. I don't want to lose you, Chris. Hang on. Okay, no problem. No problem. And while you're Sorry doing about that, the, I'll just. The difficulties. No, it's okay. No worries. No worries. No worries. Hey, people, uh, everybody that's watching this, you can Here check out their website, bandits.com. Uh, that was going to be my <laughs> next question for you, John. Um, I'm learning to ad lib too. Yeah. Um, 
besides Buffalo and Boston and Chicago, um, what was your favorite NHL arena to um, uh, call a game from? Chicago oh, Stadium. John, Chicago Stadium, definitely. How loud yeah, was it in there? Uh, I can't see it, but I can hear you fine. Unbelievably loud. You know, that's... Okay, sorry about this. I don't know what we're... Uh, there, we, there we are. No, I uh, see Chicago you now. Stadium no worries. Was, uh, without a doubt. Okay. Okay, uh, uh, no Chicago problem. Stadium was probably the best. Can you hear me now? Okay. Yeah, I can hear you now. Yep. Chicago Stadium. Am I getting I a delayed say... voice? No, I can hear you fine. Everything's good. I was going to say, okay. what was your favorite? What was your favorite game call or playoff moment with Sabres? And then we'll move into the Bandits. Oh, gosh, uh, probably uh, there was two. The overtime that went so long. Can't remember how many overtimes we did with Dave Hannon scoring the goal against New Jersey to force Game Seven back in the Meadowlands. And then obviously uh, the sweep of the Boston Bruins when Brad May scores. Uh, I know Rick Jenrett, you know, he had the call, which was great. Mayday, mayday, mayday. I was off somewhere thinking about Crosby, Sills, and Nash. It's been a long time coming, but, you know, whatever. So Rick gets the you know the accolades for that, which is great. Uh, but to me, that was the most exciting part of the game that, that uh, I was a part of when Brad May scored the goal for the four-game sweep of the Bruins. And then the overtime goal that Dave Hannon scored, that we were in three or four or five overtimes. I don't know how long it was, but – um, that was back in the nineties where they pushed the game seven back to New Jersey. So those are pretty exciting. And you know, so many handful of games that were exciting to do. And, and, um, you know, the same level of what the bandits have been able to do over the course of the eight, yeah. 17 seasons that I've done play by play with them. And that leads me to my next question. <laughs> uh, uh, are you still okay for time for a few more minutes? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay. No problem. Um, how did you come about becoming the National Lacrosse League's Buffalo Bandits radio play-by-play -play announcer? Uh, how, how did that work? And I guess you, your first year was 2004? Yeah. John Livesey, who was at the time uh, vice president of marketing, and I had worked with John while with the Sabres, and at the time uh, he was in marketing as well. And he had just come from the Buffalo Bills, and he actually was the one that hired me at the Bills to do the pregame festivities and the postgame festivities over in the field house for a couple of seasons. And then he called me and said, we want you to do the in-stadium play-by-play and uh, work with Joe Pinter, who is currently still a producer for the Buffalo Sabres. And he was my spotter with the Bills and just did a fabulous job. And that was a great opportunity for me with the Bills doing those games over there. And then uh, he called me uh, one time back in September of 2003 and said, hey, we want you to do the Be the Buffalo Bandits games. Uh, we uh, At that time, they went through a transition from taking over um, the ownership with Tom Galassano, who just took over the ownership of the Buffalo Sabres, uh, you know, out of bankruptcy. And uh, the previous ownership didn't put any money into the Bandits. And, you know, consequently, they were pulling it five six thousand a game and that's unusual for the bandits so with the new ownership coming over they wanted to put more money into the marketing and expose the game even further and it was coming along great and you know they decided well we should do radio as well and at that time we had some archaic television uh, transmission but um it was john lipsy that said hey we want you to do the bandits and you know being around the sabers uh, for the time and i knew when the bandits became involved in 1992 
Uh, I was in public relations and broadcasting at the time and certainly supported the bandits, but really didn't follow him because of my time that I was with the, um, the Sabres. But uh, he just said, don't worry about it. Have a great time. And this is who you're going to work with, Randy Mearns, who is still my broadcast partner. And just a, he's a legend of himself. Probably one of the most exciting guys to work with as a color analyst and a great coach, uh, Canadian lacrosse Hall of Famer, uh, Team Canada coach, and currently the head coach of the St. Bonaventure University Bonnies, which is a new D1 program of uh, all of two or three years old. So, gosh, I, I, I told Lipsy at the time, I'm all in. I don't really know the ins and outs of the game, and I'm, st <laughs> I'm still quite a student of the game itself. And um, Randy's helped me out over the course of years, just being such an excellent color analyst and knowing the box game the way he does and growing through the evolution of the game that I've seen change so dramatically from the time I started to today. And it's such a good product. It's so exciting. And um, I think the relationship now that we have with TSN and the relationship that we have with ESPN uh, and the delivery of games on a platform where people will be, you know, what I've called Chris is the easeability of getting to the game. Sure, you got to go to a National Lacrosse League game in person, and there's nothing like Banditland. There is nothing like being at the game in Banditland, or for that matter, in Hamilton with the Toronto Rock or the Albany Firewolves or the Georgia Swarm or anybody, the Colorado Mammoth, um, all the way across the line into the prairies of the Saskatchewan Rush to the Calgary Roughnecks to the San Diego Seals. You know what I'm talking about? Um, there's a great game. But television is going to, being on these new platforms that we're going to be on this year is going to be great because on TSN, you're going to have 20 games. You're going to have a game of the week. And uh, for all the Canadian teams, it'll have that great coverage. And the platform that TSN has them on and the development of what they're going to do with the 20 games and then the digital aspect. And then 10 linear games on ESPN, which includes ESPN News, ESPNU, and ESPN2. But here's the deal. Um, and hopefully it works out. I'm sure it does because I've been on ESPN uh, Plus now for uh, a couple of months. And it's just so great to go to ESPN and you, you just, you know, you have your favorite leagues and you have your favorite teams and then you come up to it and all you got to do is push a button and there's the game. Wow. That's the easeability of the game. And for people to just to, you know, who might be scrolling across saying, well, what's on television tonight? And they'll see, well, here's the National Hockey League games. Here's the NBA games. Here's uh, the, the NFL games. Here's some other games that are being played. And, and then, you know, they see the National Lacrosse League game. And then what's this? And they push it. I mean, these are the new development of the player, the team, the people. And I think that's going to be the exciting about it. But again, back to my original statement, the easeability now that this game has to be exposed on these platforms, on ESPN and TSN, Man, that's just going to be beautiful. And however they carry the games, I know that the league will be producing some of the games, and they've got a good talent squad that's coming in to do those. And then um, similar factor, what the NHL does now on ESPN Plus, so they'll just pick up the home broadcasts, and people can watch those. And, you know, it, it, it's going to take it to a different level, and that's where I think the game in itself, the way it's changed, Chris, over the course of the handful of years, it's more athletic, it's more exciting scoring, uh, hitting, 
it's got everything that people look for in, in terms of basketball plays, in terms of hockey plays, in terms of football hitting and the toughness of it. And remember, you know, you've only got a, a, a period of a millisecond in order to the way the game changes and the amount of goals that are being scored. I think the average now is 24 to 26 goals being scored a game. So wow. it's not it's not without the excitement from that. And, you know, you'll have games that have been 13-10 finals. So you see the the home team scores and the um, and the visiting team scores too, and I'm rambling here a little bit. But the other day I was sitting behind Matt Vince because the Bandits were in Buffalo at Key Bank Center to have training camp just that week, and they're back up in the Toronto Rock Athletic Center for the next uh, slew of practices. But I was just watching Matt Vince, and I was sitting in the first row, and, and I was just right behind him and looking at like. One, how does he do it? Two, the velocity and speed of the game, the speed of the ball is just amazing. It's a blink of an eyelash. And, you know, yeah, they're gonna, you're going to get scored on. That's just the way it is. But I, I'm, I'm amazed to see how those guys and the agility that they have and the athleticism that they have, one, the way they shoot the ball, but two, the way the goaltenders can make the save. It's pretty amazing. I was going to ask you, John, since you've been doing it since 2004, do you find the speed of the game has gone up too? Like these guys, the, the, the speed of it has gone up just like the NHL? Dramatically. Dramatically. The athleticism these talented guys have now, not only not only in field, but in box as well. So you're getting a crossover. You're getting guys that are learning the field game and guys that are from the field game learning the box game. And it's bringing a whole group of athleticism in together. And, you know, the Bandits this year, and I've, I've marveled at this over the course of the last couple of years, they've come to camp in shape. Uh, they're ready to go. They've gone through weight training programs. They've gone through speed programs, agility, performance tests, and everything. And this game has returned so fast. And the transition now that teams employ, you know, the game is getting very systematic. Uh, and you'll have the offense run out and you've got the defense that runs back in or the vice versa. So you've got whole group of players, whereas in the older game, you know, you just played on the floor back and forth. You played offense and defense and then you went off on a shift. But now everybody's specialized. So you've got your forwards who are incredibly talented. Guys like Dane Smith, the great Dane, uh, Josh Byrne, Chris Cloutier. Uh, I mean, the list goes on from Connor Fields to Kyle Buchanan uh, to Dakota who, you know, the guys will be coming along. The speed that they have, the agility that they have in order to complete the passing and, and the rotation of the game the way it's played today, and then to make a transition out of their own zone and up the floor. And guys specialize in this now, you know, where you're a transition player in your speed, and then the, the front door opens up and the offensive players come out and they get set and run the game. And then when they lose the ball or the ball is intercepted by the defense and they make a quick transition. And then it's your job either from a forward responsibility to get back as fast as you can or make a good transition from midfield right to the bench so the defensive specialists can get out there. So, yeah, it's changed dramatically in the 18 years that I've covered the game. The speed of the game, it just never ceases to amaze me the way that they've been able to come up and down the floor and do what they do. I was going to say, do you remember your first uh, Bandits game on radio? And uh, how much of a help was Randy in your first broadcast on the radio? Uh, Chris, the comfort factor, I think, was right there. And I hadn't really had much time to be with Randy before the first game. 
And the carrier of the game at that time was relatively light. So I think we went as far as a parking lot in West Seneca. So the signal wasn't that good. And, uh, but, you know, we went through our own growing pains. We did that. But to have Randy there with me the first game and to carry me through, you know, to call the game as I saw it and learning as I was going along, what a great tutor he was for me uh, to carry through on certain aspects of, you know, the stoppage in play because of technical fouls, the stoppage in play because of the over and backs, just like basketball, to uh, certain penalties that were being called and, you know, certain nuances of the game that I really didn't understand back then that Randy helped me with, you know, to carry over. He became a good bridge uh, in the point of explaining it to listeners over the radio because that, that's what we did primarily right at the beginning um, before we got into the television distribution or the video distribution of the game and uh, strictly radio. Now, you know, I do the same thing at, uh, on the road where I call the radio call. I, I don't, I'm not with television when I'm on the road. I just do a strict radio call Te at home. We do a simulcast, you know, where they carry the radio signal and they'll do the uh, television coverage that the uh, bandits and sabers operations do such a great job at now. But uh, at the beginning, you know, Randy was such, such a great help. And that's why we're such a good team together and uh, recognized around the league as just being a, a really good group of guys. Okay. Um, I was going to say, and that leads to my next question, John. And one before I get to the next question, I was going to say, have you thought about writing a book about your uh, career in broadcasting? Because I think you got a lot <laughs> of great stories here. Well, I've got a lot of great stories, particularly being the NHL and and the great stories I've been through the NLL and my experiences of various sports that I've covered. I, I thought at the time when I was with the Sabres and I developed a wonderful relationship with the great late Jim Kelly, um, who was a writer for the Buffalo News for years and became a great columnist and uh, was a part of the Fan 590 in Toronto. Uh, what a wonderful man he was. And um, we spent some memorable moments together on the road when I was with the Sabres. And uh, we both said, yeah, we're going to write a book of all of the uh, things that we've been through in our life and what we're doing. And it would be titled A Story It Must Be Told. And uh, unfortunately, Jim left me a, a handful of years ago uh, to cancer and um, decided to say, well, can't write that book now because Jim's not with me. But yeah, you know, it would be fun to do that and, and to step back and to do a diary type of effect of the uh, ins and outs that I've had in my broadcast career. Definitely. And that leads to my next question, John. Uh, what is your most memorable radio call of a Buffalo Bandits game so far and the top five Bandits uh, you've seen over the years? Gosh, it has to start with John Tavares. And I can't remember what year it was, but it was an overtime. We were playing in Boston because we were against the Boston Blazers. And um, not sure if it was an overtime where we had five or six seconds left and John calls. Uh, tells Darius Kilgore at the time, who was the head coach, to take a timeout, which he did, and he called all the players over. This is John Tavares, and called all the players over and designed a play right away. And um, they resumed uh, back in a huddle at the top of the slot, which I call it, and that's a basketball term, but it's in the top of a restraining line, in the middle of the restraining line. And they all huddled, all five of them huddled as a group. And then the referee gave the signal that the play was underway, because they, you know, they said, okay, we're ready to go, but they all huddled together and then they dispersed. They all went different directions into the offensive zone. And there's Tavares at the top of the slot and they wing the ball around and pass it. And then he riddles his way in close to get face to face with the goaltender. 
and they whip the ball to him and he scores the goal. Uh, just an amazing, I think it was overtime because it was just an amazing play and I'll never forget that. Can't remember the year, but I remember being at the, the, uh, the uh, TD Center, the new Boston Garden or whatever they call it, the TD Center or whatever like that. But uh, that was probably the most exciting game that I called from there. But there's always been a handful. So um, exciting players, obviously John Tavares, Mark Stainhouse, who uh, single-handedly carried the Bandits through in the uh, mid of the, you know, 2004 throughout the 2000 whatever season it was that he carried through. I mean, just a really exciting player, and just uh, you know the list went on from uh, from Richie Kilgore to Gosh, you know, you're, you're, you're asking me to pull all these guys out, but, um, you know, just being the exciting players that they were, Micah Kersey, um, just guys that carried the, just carried the weight of the bandits, the way the game evolved and changed. But, you know, you, you've got to, you've got to just continue to talk about just the talents of John Tavares. And he's still to this day, he's being, the, you know, the head coach now of, of the bandits. And this is his 30th year with the wow. organization and uh, sixth or seventh year of being the head coach and the coaching end of the business. Just, just a master of the game and still the record holder in the NLL. Wow. That's amazing. And I was going to say, and uh, which uh, uh, opposition player over the years uh, have you been really impressed with uh, playing against the bandits? One particular or a couple, I guess. Gosh, so many. Casey Behrens was one from the Toronto Rock that was always a thorn in the side of the Buffalo Bandits. And I've noticed in games that, you know, the Bandits had the lead and the Rock were able to come back and pull it out. And Behrens was always there. Uh, Dan Dawson has just been a phenomenal player of the course of his career, which he's still playing and has just done a, an amazing job. Tracy Koleski uh, was uh, just, you know, quality player. Uh, at that time with Calgary, but also as a part of the Buffalo Bandits for a while. And, um, you know, guys like that that have come in and out of the league have done such a marvelous job. And, uh, you know, the handful of players that they have now with the uh, Thunderbirds up in Halifax, just an amazing, amazing amount of talent that they have there. And, and the way that they can score the goals and carry on the way they do is just phenomenal. So. You know, every team has their stars and the strong players that you carry in the NLL. But I'll guarantee you this, Chris, uh, the way that the Bandits are stacked this year on offense and the developing guys that they're, you know, have on defense to add to their already strong group and the goaltending of Matt Vince, Bandits are going to be tough, tough to beat. I'm definitely looking forward to going to a game uh, this year. My first ever, I actually, I'm going to go, I, I want my first game to be in Buffalo and then I'll do a rock game in Hamilton, but I'm really okay. looking forward to it because I'm still learning about the game and uh, talking to Pat and yourself has been sure. really great. I just got two quick questions for you and I'll let you go, John. Um, yep. What do you enjoy the most about the National Lacrosse League the most? Gosh, the camaraderie that we have within the team structure. You know, the players like each other. Um, I try not to get as close, you know, familiarity breeds contempt, so you don't want to get too close to the players, but I just love their camaraderie that they have and the friendships that they've developed within each other and um, how nice they are to guys like me and the operation of the way that Scott Loeffler, who is the director of lacrosse operations, and Dan Ristine and um, everybody that's involved in the operation and just the, just the friendships 
and you feel so welcome. Steve Dietrich, who's the general manager, I mean, you feel like you're a part of the team, not, you know, you're not the enemy and you're welcome at practice and um, you can ask questions at any time. They're always available for interviews. Uh, everybody at the drop of a dime say, John, you got a couple of minutes speaking for Tavares. Sure. Uh, Steve, do you have a couple of minutes or the, the coaching staff, uh, any of the players at the time? It's just, it, it's such a great feeling to be a part of a team like this and uh, to be uh, over the course of the 17 seasons that I've been involved with them, uh, just from the operation standpoint, the way that they operate the bandits through the Pagula Sports and Entertainment Group and the support that they get and the people that are involved from that infrastructure to the bandits infrastructure. I mean, it's a great operation, but you'll talk to anybody and any, anybody in the National Lacrosse League, any team that will say just the close relationships that they've developed with people uh, within the, the team structure, uh, it, it means so much. And, uh, you know, you are a family and you are, you're on a different level, Chris. There's, there's no question about it. You know, this isn't the National Hockey League. It's not the NBA. It's not the NHL. Uh, or what did I say? The NFL. Um, this is this is this is a sport that requires the just such dedication and time and effort, and it's kind of on your own. Where you know, as I always say to the young broadcast students, find something that you really, really want to do, so you'll never have to work another day in your life. Common, because you love what you do so much that it's not work, and it's always a part of uh, developing the great community that you're a part with, and. And then you're representing an organization that goes out of the community and you're respected as well. So, you know, that's that's a great part about being uh, with the bandits. And, you know, every player will tell you uh, in any with any team uh, either grew up watching the bandits coming to the games from Canada or coming from the area where they live uh, to watch the bandits. And and then, you know, unfortunately, a lot of players that play against the bandits at home in bandit and they have a tough time because it's it's such a tough arena to play into. But they'll always say, gosh, I would love to be a part of the Bandits operation or have always thought about being a part of the Bandits operation. Uh, Connor Field, Fields, who grew up in East Hammers, New York, part of Buffalo, uh, was so excited uh, from his trade of San Diego. Not that he didn't love San Diego or playing with San Diego. They, he had a great time. But, you know, here's a kid that grew up watching um, – the bandits play as a kid and coming to as many games as he could. And it's just, he said, it's just like full circle to see and to be a part of the bandits operation. I mean, that's a wonderful opportunity. And then um, certainly uh, Dehoka uh, was a ball boy at one time, way back when. So he gets full circle if he makes the team, which I'm sure he will, or either on the practice squad. I mean, he's, he's showing his, um, his strengths that he's got, but you know, Bottom line is everybody wants to be a part of the Bandits operation. And I'm like I said, I'm looking forward to going to my first game uh, very soon. And I was going to say, John, also, uh, everyone has been great coming on my podcast, but especially the Buffalo market. I've had guys from the WGR come on, uh, all the big guys there, John Murphy, yourself. And uh, to me, when I cross the border, uh, Western New York, Buffalo feels like my second home because everyone, sure. especially from your industry in the Buffalo area, has been so great with me. Good. Well, I'll tell you what, here's here's uh, here's an invitation. One, when we're in Hamilton, which I only think we played once this year uh, in Hamilton. Amazingly enough, we only played two Canadian teams this year in Canada. Wow. Uh, one that uh, Thunderbirds and uh, the other one, uh, The Rock. 
So um, I'll have you up on the broadcast in Hamilton because it's close range for you. And then anytime you want to come to a game in Buffalo, just let me know and we'll set you up with some tickets. Okay, that'd be great because, like, like I said, I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, I'm excited. I'm still learning about it every day. And uh, like I said, I, uh, I just have one last question for you, John, and I will let you go. Yep. And this question I do with all my guests too. Um, any advice for those looking to pursue a career in broadcasting, TV, radio, play-by-play, and where can my audience find you again on social media and on the radio with Randy? Well, this year on the radio, we're on the Bet 1520, which we've always been. They changed the name from ESPN. Okay. It's called the Bet 1520 AM. Oh, it's a 50,000-watt station, so I think they can pick us up in nine states. I don't know how the signal is over in Canada. But obviously, the home games will be on ESPN+. And um, comments with respect to learning this business. One, make sure you have a second job in mind. Two... Uh, continue on uh, pursuing your dream as a play-by-play broadcaster. And that means going to a game, sitting in the stands. Uh, it might be a, ba- a junior basketball game or a junior hockey game or something that, you know, you can sit alone with with a hand recorder and call the game. The more you get the opportunity to call the game and the rudiments that you could do in a handset, to listen to it and do it, do it, do it repetitively. That's how you, that's what I call woodshedding. Do the game. The only way you're going to learn the game is to do the game. And that means going to high school or college or an area where, uh, you know, I used to set the students up at uh, Canisius where the um, public relations department of the the, uh, Sabres were gracious enough to give us a little booth where I'd send the students up to call the game. Learn the game. Learn the players. Learn what you can with respect to all of the ins and outs. Don't become involved with a lot of the stats. Stats, you know, you don't. You have to be a stat person. You can see the stats and learn a little bit about that, but you'll just kind of get overwhelmed with the amount of information that's available out today. But more importantly, develop your voice, the cadence of your voice, the way you have and the natural ability. Find the tenor of your voice and the scale. Sometimes when you see that on your VR, VR meter, you know, whether you're going too high or you're overmodulating, the excitability of the game, never want to be over the top, but more is developing your own persona. Who am I in the terms of a young broadcaster or like yourself being a broadcaster, wanting to be a broadcaster and the development of who you are within, not wanting to become somebody or emulate somebody else. You know, I tried to do it right at the beginning of my hockey career to sound like Dan Kelly of the St. Louis Blues because I grew up listening to KMOX because of their high-frequency station that they had in Denver that I could listen to the St. Louis Blues games on KMOX. So I became infatuated with Dan Kelly the way he called the game. But you don't want to do that. You know, you certainly want to develop your own style, your own uh, knowledge within the game, and do as many games as you can. And that means carving out some time uh you know as you say you're working with the Guelph otters or you're working in the ohl Guelph storm ohl with rogers tv as a volunteer yeah but while you're doing that you know call the game in your mind if you're working with the camera but call the game in your mind um you know you don't have to call it out loud but you can call it in your mind the way you're following the game and developing uh the individuals that you're following certainly memorization comes into key but knowledge of the game and this little 
parts of innuendo stats and this that and the other thing sounds good again don't become a statistician don't overwhelm me with stats too many broadcasters today overwhelm you with one-ups you know who cares remember what marty glickman said how much time is left in the game what's the score what's the quarter what does the team need to do either to carry over on the strength that they have of winning the game or to get back into the game and try to win it? And what's the team feeling like when they're losing? You know, I don't need to know all those other stupid stats that everybody's coming out with. I mean, that's great, but, but too many broadcasters today are just overwhelming us with statistical information that I don't care about. You know, some guys like it, some guys don't. That's just my two cents worth. Um, um, gosh, Kevin, listen, listen to play-by-play -play guys. Uh, Kevin Harlan, who did the Buffalo Bills game the other day, excellent play caller, and the way his analogies of, you know, when he called that one of the, the uh, Thomas the Ball Carrier for Indianapolis, corkscrews his way through the line. I mean, that is a perfect description. And then, and again, he's doing television, so he's not trying to insult the viewer because, you know, they're seeing that, well, if it's Thomas, but he has to call Thomas. Or, uh, and again, the level of the type of play-by-play -play that you want to do. You know, radio is a different game. You got to paint the picture. You got to tell the story. What's going on in the arena? What's people wearing? What's the temperature outside? What's the temperature inside? What's the feeling out on the floor? Television. You don't want to insult the viewer, but you kind of got to get a cadence of what's going on, and uh, so you do have to kind of do a little bit of a radio call. But it's entirely different in television. So you know you got to weigh the weights and measures here. Uh, you know, I love radio in the way I love doing play by play on radio because you just you tell the story. You're the one that's in the kitchen. You're the one that's in the workroom. You're the one that's in the garage with the guys changing the oil or he's sitting on a stage lounge having a beer and listening to the radio. Or he might be watching the game and listening to you on radio if they're synchronized together, if that's OK. But again, and you're talking about the trucker that's out in the middle of the road and he's got the game on, you know. You're calling the game for him. That's what he wants. So that's why it's so exciting for radio to do. And, you know, the levels of broadcast availability, whether it's radio or television, that's where you have to get into. But let me return before I end. Call as many games as you can, whether it's hockey, whether it's basketball, whether it's football, depending on what you want to be, Chris, or anybody out there. You know, if you want to be a play-by-play -play person in hockey, call as many hockey games as you can. If you want to do football, call as many football games as you can. If you want to be a, uh, into basketball or any other sport, you know, you got to know the game. But the only way to do it is to call the game. Call it in your handset. Listen back to it. And sooner or later, you're going to have some good stuff. And you might be able to put a demo tape together. Say, hey, this is who I am. And this is what I can do. And then, like yourself. And again, as I mentioned at the beginning of tonight's show, congratulations on your podcast. Because you're developing your own persona and, and personality of, being a podcast operator and a host and asking questions and hopefully people from uh, the side of listening and, and listening to our stream and, and show tonight that they found something interesting in it. And, you know, you're the, you're, you are the ringleader of this show. So, you know, do that as well. Do, and you're doing it as many podcasts as you're doing, keep doing it, man, because you'll get better and better as you go along. And before you know it, you'll get a couple of sponsors and then, you know, you'll have, this, that, and the other, and you'll pick up more of a, like everybody else is doing. So hopefully that's given that in a nutshell to keep involved with this business. And 
you know, like anything, be prepared for rejection. Be prepared yeah. for a lot of no's. Be prepared for losing your job at a moment's notice because it happens, man. And it happens a lot. And remember, there's only a handful of guys that ever make it uh, to a level that, that uh, you know, the guys are on right now. You know, there's only so many English-speaking jobs and U.S. availabilities to do in the National Hockey League. And those guys stay forever. And that's what they want to do because they've earned the right to do that. And they continue on doing such a great job. And, you know, the corral that they have at CBS and ABC and NBC and HBO and, and ESPN and all the guys that are, that are there, man, they've worked hard in their career. And, you know, they deserve to be in the position that they're in. And they continue to hone their talents on a regular basis to become uh, even better. And that's what uh, Marty Glickman always told me. He just said, John, um, you're coming along, you're doing well, uh, you're fighting an uphill battle trying to replace Ted, but you know we're developing a persona for you that people will feel comfortable. And don't forget about the basics of the game and your personality, which I think is so very important. You know, again, Chris, some people aren't gonna like you and some people are gonna really like you, but that's just the way it is if you wanna be in this business. Thick skin. I was going to say, John, thank you for the kind words. And I was going to say is a, a podcast to me is only as good as your guests are. And I've been very <laughs> fortunate. I've been fortunate to get guys like yourself, John Murphy, Bob Soshi, uh, Dan Shalman, Freddie Coleman to come on my podcast. And yeah, I just get, I'm just going to keep working hard, stay humble, stay hungry and try to keep learning and improving every day. Do it, man. You can do it. Well, don't I really appreciate you otherwise and don't lose the hope, you know. Don't nope, lose I hope at all, man. Dig deep. Definitely agree with you, and uh, I I hope in the future maybe I can bring you back on again and talk about the bandits, how they're doing in the season, sure and all that. That Thank would you. be great, John. Yeah. Thank you so much for the time and effort and the questions that you put in, and and uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, John, and we'll definitely keep in touch with you on social media, and uh, we'll definitely have you on again. Thank you so much. Okay, Chris. Thank you. Have a good night. Bye for now, as they would say. Bye. <laughs> Thanks, John. Take care. Okay, buddy. Anyways, guys, I hope you enjoyed my podcast tonight with uh, John, uh, longtime radio play-by-play -play voice of the National Lacrosse League's Buffalo Bandits, former PA announcer for the Bills, and former C Sabres uh, TV host and play-by-play -play announcer for the Sabres as well. He's had a great career in broadcasting, and uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, attending a National Lacrosse League game uh, for the first time ever. The Buffalo Bandits open up their 21-22 season at the Key Bank Center in downtown Buffalo against the Calgary Red Rough, sorry, the Calgary Roughnecks at 7:30 at the Key Bank Center. I'm looking forward to going to a game there and also uh, a game in uh, uh, Hamilton to see the Toronto Rock as well. So, uh, anyways, guys, like I said, I uh, really appreciate John coming on. Thank you to everyone that watched this on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And uh, just to let you guys know, Live with CDP podcast, the audio version is on Google Podcasts, Anchor FM, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Spotify, CastBox, and LinkedIn as well. And also, guys, you can also follow John Googler on uh, Twitter at John underscore Googler. Uh, Goodler, and uh, he's one of the best guys for lacrosse, national lacrosse play, radio by play by play announcers. And also, guys, you can check out the Buffalo Bandits website at uh, bandits.com. 
And like I said, their home opener and first game of the season is Saturday, December 4th, 7.30 against Calgary, the defending National Lacrosse League champions. And also, guys, uh, you can check out the National Lacrosse League's website at www.nll.com. And uh, like I said, I'm looking forward to learning more about the National Lacrosse League and going to a rock game in Hamilton and a Bandits game as well. And also, guys, just before I wrap up this podcast, uh, next live with CDP podcast is going to be tomorrow, Wednesday, November 24th at 6 o'clock Eastern, 3 on the West Coast. Guest Cassie Sumners, uh, professor professor at the University of Guelph uh, Stress Management and High Performance Clinic. She's going to talk a little about, about uh, stress management, high performance, her high performance clinic, and also about uh, sleep as well. Uh, people getting not enough sleep uh, nowadays and dealing with stress. So I look forward to talking to my friend Cassie tomorrow at 6 o'clock o'clock eastern here on live with cdp and uh before i go guys i'm just going to show you a little video clip of the buffalo bandits before the pandemic shut down and some of john's work as a, a broadcaster as well just one second guys the following is a special presentation of the national lacrosse league Chester Nighthawks finally got their first win of the season against the Calgary Roughnecks, but then lost their way in a one-sided loss to the Philadelphia Wings. The Bandits, on the other hand, are on a three-game winning streak with their only loss to the undefeated Halifax Thunderbirds. It's a division battle between the Buffalo Bandits and Rochester Nighthawks next on BR Live. on the highway 90 here in buffalo on the way to the key bank center and yes it's establishment of a new rivalry with the rochester nighthawks and buffalo bandits right here at key bank good evening everybody and welcome to our broadcast coverage tonight on br live john kirtler along with steve verbal and dave buchanan is between the benches steve has been with us for some 13 years now covering the national lacrosse league and the buffalo bandits and will be a part of our broadcast here for the second half of the season and steve now you have been everywhere in this arena from every portal you've taken a look at the bandits throughout the number of games they played so far this year what's your take on this club uh, they seem to be figuring it out a little bit john especially as the schedule has them playing a little more uh, consistently so as they play week to week they really seem to be finding their game in all three facets speaking about finding their game josh Byrne did that at the mile high city 5280 feet above sea level the air was thin and seven goals went in what a night for josh Byrne. josh Byrne having a career night for himself also setting pace for a single game record for any player so far this year scoring seven goals in one game he's on pace for 61 goals this year shooting about 28 percent on the year but in the last three games he's shooting almost 50 percent from the floor you can't get much better than that so a solid game for him including the game tying goal steve it'll be good news tonight for the buffalo bandits that means more offense and chris cloutier is back yeah cloutier activated uh put back on the active roster coming off ir so some more firepower on the left side for the bandits for sure let's go down to the sharpshooter dave buchanan and josh Byrne. Thanks, guys, and I'm with the consensus NLL Player of the Week from this past week, Josh Byrne, and Josh, seven goals last week against Colorado, and was it just your night to shine, or what were you feeling it there in Colorado last weekend? 
Anyways, guys, that clip was courtesy of the National Lacrosse League's uh, YouTube channel as well. Also, check out the Bandits website, buffalobandits.com, and also the nationallacrosseleague.com as well. Anyways, guys, um, I'm going to wrap up my podcast. Uh, just like I said, uh, again, uh, thank you to John Googler uh, for coming on today to talk about his career in broadcasting and uh, his time with the Sabres and the Buffalo Bills and Rochester Americans and now with the Buffalo Bandits since 2014. You can listen to their games on radio, The Bet, uh, 1520 a.m. in Buffalo as well. Um, so anyways, uh, let's say, guys, uh, next live with CDP Podcast. It's going to be tomorrow, November 24, 6 o'clock. Cassie Sumner's uh, professor at the University of Guelph, um, stress management, high performance clinic. And we're going to talk about dealing with stress and about how to improve your sleep as well. She's one of my friends, so I'm looking forward to that as well. Anyways, thank you so much to my guest, John Googler, for coming on again today. And again, everyone, thank you for watching this live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and uh, later on my audio platforms. So I hope you guys all have a great night. Please check out the National Lacrosse League, NLL.com, or check out BuffaloBandits.com. And uh, I'm looking forward to going to my first lacrosse game uh, this year soon, either in, in, in Hamilton and in Buffalo as well. So... All right, guys, uh, I'm going to call it a podcast. We'll see you tomorrow night at 6 o'clock with my guest, Cassie Sumners. And uh, thanks again for watching live with CDP Podcast. Have a good night, guys.